welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Matt Preet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 56, headlined by a heavyweight fight between Alexander Volkov and Drazenio Rosenstrike. We got a couple other bangers on the rest of this card, but... This is one of those events that's actually on a very important week for myself, hence why I'm doing this podcast nice and early for you guys. For anybody watching this on the repeat, this is actually being recorded or live streamed, I should say, on uh, May 27th. So it's the Friday, actually, uh, the second Friday before the fights actually kick off. So next week, I'm actually going to be wrapped up the entire week. It is my wedding week, so uh, my wife would obviously kill me if I was out there uh, trying to do any content for you guys. So this will be the only piece of content I'm able to drop for the uh, for this card, I should say. Uh, I will be back at it for UFC 275 with the full week of... Um, uh, of content for you guys. Uh, I'm working at episodes of propping you up over the last couple months. So uh, he was usually going to, or he is pretty much the guy that's going to be on call for us for occasions like this where I'm not going to be able to do it. So uh, I'll put it in the top comment as well after I drop this podcast uh, that, uh, you know, because I know throughout Fight Week, people are going to be hitting me up and be like, hey, where's propping you up? Where's the ultimate way and show all this type of stuff? So uh, usually people come back to the latest video that I drop and then drop a comment on it. So hopefully they see the top comment and see that I won't be doing any content for them. But like I said, this week we're going over UFC Vegas 56. Uh, interesting card we got coming up. I uh, just finished taping it uh, as a whole uh, about an hour ago or so. And... Uh, doesn't seem to be a spot that I really want to go lock the night deep on. Now, there are some chalky spots that look very good and look very lock of the night ready, but I just can't seem to pull the trigger, nor do I really want to take the take the big shot on uh, you know, a, a big favorite or something like that. Um, I'm trying to stay away from making uh parlays my lock of the night play. You know, it's square as hell, which again, I don't mind being labeled square. As long as I'm putting units in people's uh, pockets, that's all that matters to me. I don't mind playing chalk if I feel it's necessary, but I want to, you know, you know, get away from parlaying the minus 600 and the minus 400 favorite together. Um, but there, there is one parlay that I'm liking who likely won't make it a lock that I play, but I'll still uh, have a bet on it. You guys are going to be able to figure that out as you guys get through this podcast here. Uh, but let's go over the last event, which was UFC Vegas 55. Uh, obviously, Transparency 101. We go over every single event, winning or losing. Luckily, your boy's been on a bit of a heater here. Five straight winning weekends. Um and uh, we had a great showing last weekend um, or for the last event. Uh, and we might as well just get it started with a lock of the night play here. So lock of the night play was four and a half units on the Omar Morales and Urosh Medic under two and a half. I had four and a half units at minus 164. That cashes for plus 2.74 units. Not the way that I expected it to in regards to Medic actually winning that fight in the second round. Uh, but he showed great composure, great discipline that night, and it paid off for him as he was able to knock out Omar Morales. I was very close to paying the juice on Omar Morales myself, but I decided to take the under two and a half, and luckily that I did because, uh, yeah, I'd be ripping up a ticket here if I picked Omar Morales. Uh, next up, I had another, uh, well, not another, but I had a, another big bet, which technically was uh, the, the first lock of the night play that I had, but I swapped it out when I made uh, the under two and a half that I just spoke about a bigger play, but I had four units on Jonathan Martinez at minus 213. Uh, that cashes for 1.88 units. 
again, mystified at the amount of love that that was out there for Vince Morales. Um, you know, a lot of people continue to discredit Jonathan Martinez's game. I saw something tweeted out earlier that that week saying that betting Jonathan Martinez at chalk is worse than betting Gina Mazzini. How is that possible considering that Gina Mazzini is one and three as a favorite and now Jonathan Martinez is four and one as a favorite? He is reliable. You know, in my opinion, he's a great striker, does a really good job in terms of maintaining his distance and just using his leg kicks to the best of his abilities. And that's exactly what was on full showcase against Vince Morales. Morales, in my opinion, not that great of a fighter. The peak of his career is pretty much going to be that Louis Smoker knockout that he had in his previous fight. But that's the furthest this guy's going to get. Stop disrespecting my guy, Jonathan Martinez. That cashes for 1.88 units. Next up, uh, we'll go with the dog of the night play here, which was the first fight of the night. Sam Hughes, one unit at plus 145, cashes with ease. Cashes like it was a lock of the night play, if I'm being honest. That cashes for 1.45 units. She puts on an absolute clinic there against Lee Street. Pretty much goes out there and does exactly what people expected Corey McKenna to do, but they failed to realize that that's not really Corey McKenna's style. It is Sam Hughes' style, and I was surprised at the amount of love that Elise Reed was getting, even to the point that she was a favorite. A size, well, not a sizable, but a solid favorite at minus 165. I think that was a, an absolutely atrocious line. The only thing I regret is not putting more on Sam Hughes in that spot. But she casts nonetheless as the underdog play there. Um, and not to mention the women's MMA keeps on hitting for your boy. I can't be mad at it, but uh, glad it was plus money this time around. And then the only loss comes in the main event. Glad I didn't pay the chalk here on Holly Holm at minus 250, but rather take her by the... Uh, pretty much the method that she more often than not wins by, which is decision. I had one and a half, 1.15 units at minus 115 on her to win by decision. Robbery, whatever people want to call it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make too big of a, a fuss about it. In the end, if you're picking the right side more often than not, those split decisions and those robberies are not going to matter at the end of the day. So uh, I'm not going to, you know, cry over spoiled milk or spilled milk or is the is the term I believe it is. Uh, that pretty much robs me of a of a clean sweep of the night. But we still profit four point nine two units uh, for a forty six percent ROI. And again, that secures a fifth straight weekend of profit for your boy. Bringing us into that off week, which is obviously this weekend, there's no UFC event, but I'm hoping to take that momentum and keep it going here. I believe the UFC has about uh, five or six straight events coming up in this next stretch, starting with this Volkov and Rosenstrike card. So uh, let me just take a quick peek at what the chat is saying here for you guys, uh, and then I'll get into the actual breakdowns because we got a ton of fights to get through for this one. My guy, African in the chat, appreciate you, stop, appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Uh, Justin Villegas saying, thank God you're on. I wonder, I've been wandering the streets trying to make people fight just to fuel my MMA addiction. I'm liking Rosenstrike. Think of the dude ready for a decent losing streak. We shall see. African also congratulating me on the wedding as well. Appreciate that as well, my friend. Um, Justin Villegas went with Vince Morales. Uh, African saying, half factory X recycled game plan Martinez. Couldn't be more free. Exactly. Easy, easy, easy. Yeah, Villegas talking about Baby Shark, my kind of new fave. I wish I made the bet on her, man. I felt pretty confident on her in that spot. Uh, I think the amount of love on um, Vienna from guys that I respect kind of scared me off of it a little bit. But I'm glad that I didn't let affect my prediction, per se, on uh, on Ricci here because, uh, yeah, she did absolute work in that spot. Uh, Rick the Ruler saying, I hit on Sam and Nunes the short 
turnaround kept me off for three, but I got the over and a five legger, three left to go. Good luck, good job, man. And you just got that over as well, right? Because Hughes got that finish very, very uh, close to the end there. Uh, Jared Curry saying Friday night live lockcast is like a dream come to. Yes. Again, next week I'm MIA. So I thought I'd, I'd get this out for you guys as soon as I can. GC have a time saying congrats on the run lock. Let's keep it going, right? That's the goal here. Let's just keep stringing these together. Um, I am for the year. I am down two units, which is great considering that, you know, the run that I'm on right now, hopefully this next event puts me over that hump, digs me out of this hole for the year. And I can start uh, talking about, you know, being profitable on the year now as well. All right, uh, before we do get into the breakdowns, I do want to take a nice quick sip here of my first ever sip of Proper 12. So up here in Canada, they're actually selling Proper 12 uh, attached with a bottle of ginger ale or a can of ginger ale. So you can have a, a proper mule, I believe that's what it's called. So it'll be my first ever sip. Interested to see what this tastes like. Let's see. Not as bad as I thought. Yeah, not as bad as I thought. Ginger ale really helps it for sure. You guys know me. I'm not really much of the boozing type, but I got to get my liver prepared for this week of nonstop drinking that I would likely be doing. Um, and I thought I'd break the ice with that proper tool there. So not too bad. You know, six out of 10 stars or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Uh, it's not too bad. I'll be sipping on it throughout the... Uh, the stream here as well. Rex is saying my daughter says she's going to keep Alfred. Yes. Shout out to my guy. Rex was actually going to be dog sitting for me on my wedding day because the fucking dog care center that we wanted to drop him off at doesn't open till 9 a.m. And I got to start getting ready at uh, like 6 a.m., 7 a.m. We got to be out of the house by 9 a.m. to get to the temple. So uh, shout out to my guy, Rexley, for uh, doggy daycaring at his own place for me. Uh, hopefully Alfred doesn't... Uh, keep crying because he does have some attachment issues <laughs> but hopefully that works out from african saying proper irish whiskey from a proper punjabi animal you already know how it is my man justin villagassing congratulations pop his proper 12 whiskey i drink it on all connor fights even when i go to his fights there we go again it's not that bad i'll likely be sipping on beer for the most of this week but uh with my father-in-law coming in on Monday midnight or Tuesday morning, uh, we're going to be drinking throughout the week. So we'll see how many things we can mix up and have some fun. All right. 11 minutes into this podcast and we haven't broke down a fight yet. So let's just get into it, right? Let's get into it. Let's see how this uh, card is going to shake out. So it doesn't seem like Tapology has it uh, fully updated yet. Let me just quickly uh, see if Best Fight Odds does. Best Fight Odds doesn't have the correct order either. But luckily, my guy Nicholas West in the chat, in the Discord chat, dropped a uh, updated version for us, courtesy of Big Marcel. So I'll go by his uh, order here. First fight of the night, women's flyweight fight, streaking prospect Aaron Blanchfield goes is going up against JJ Aldrich, and she comes in as the biggest favorite on the card, minus six hundred for Aaron Blanchfield, plus four hundred the return on JJ Aldrich. You guys know me. You guys know I love seeking out women's MMA. You guys know I love plus money women's MMA when I get the opportunity. And I was really hoping that uh, JJ Aldrich would be that you know sneaky pick for me on this card. But after writing the tape, I really just can't do it. Now, 
J.J. Aldrich, in my opinion, has historically been quite underrated throughout her career. That's why we got her as like a near plus 200 underdog against Poliana Vienna several fights ago. That's why we got her as a slight favorite over, uh, who was it, um, Lauren Mueller. And in a fight that I thought was pretty much going to be one-sided, and I'm glad she won in, in the fashion that she did. She won a split decision against Courtney Casey. Say what you want about who deserved to win that fight. She still got her hand raised that night. I didn't end up making the bet there. Jillian Robertson, another spot where she goes out there, nullifies the grappling of uh, Jillian Robertson and just beats her up on the feet. She has decent jujitsu. She does a good job in terms of when she's on top, nullifying whatever her opponent is doing off of their back. We saw it in the Jillian Robertson fight. We saw it in the Poliana Vienna fight. Uh, her bread and butter is her striking, and I'd say some of her clinch game too. She's kind of vicious in that in those spots. She's deceivingly strong. Like she can go out there and really outmuscle her opponents, and she doesn't look like a fighter that has a lot of muscle or has a lot of strength, but she is able to go out there and, and use that to her advantage. But when she is on, she uses her striking very well, right? Good combinations, good jab, good right hand behind it. Um, th that's what makes her a very solid fighter, in my opinion. But with Aaron Blanchfield, man, absolutely. Like she, she's in for for a nightmare here. Erin Blanchfield is the truth, in my opinion. She's 23 years old and she's having fantastic performances against legitimate competition, right? The Miranda Maverick performance was just uh, amazing, right? I believe she was the underdog in that fight, if I'm not mistaken, and that's why she's a minus minus 600 this time around. She she establishes top control very well. Her wrestling is good. Her striking is improving. And I think that she'll likely have good enough striking here to deal with whatever we're going to be seeing from J.J. Aldridge in the striking realm. And then she should be able to parlay that into takedowns and then top control. J.J. Aldridge, like I said, does a good job in terms of nullifying the amount of success that her opponents are able to have, whether it's from their back or from on top. So I think it's going to be difficult to put J.J. Aldridge away, which is why I think we'll see Aaron Blanchfield grind this fight out over 15 minutes um there, there is some connections in terms of miranda maverick training with jg aldrich uh and hopefully having her to prepare for aaron blanchfield but i just think that if uh, you know we know miranda maverick she, she's pretty much an ox right she's very strong she's very powerful she's very difficult to deal with in those grappling situations but aaron blanchfield made it look easy right how many times did she get her into that crucifix position and almost found the finish in those spots if Aaron Blanchfield can do that to Miranda Maverick, I have no doubt that she should be able to do that here against J.J. Aldridge. With all that said, I'm still not blindly going out there and putting minus 600s into parlays with Aaron Blanchfield here because, again, for a serious parlay, how much is it really even doing? Maybe if it's like a Hail Mary parlay or something like that, like a 5, 6, 7, 12-legger or something like that. Sure, throw it in there just to spice it up a little bit. But, uh, yeah, for like a 2, 3-legger, I, I really just don't have the 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 balls to go out there and, and parlay her in this spot i would rather take her by decision at minus 200 but there is the possibility she could get that crucifix position and even finish jj here i trust in jj's durability but i do think that we'll see uh blanchfield control this fight for the majority of it grind it out win this fight via decision let's see what the over is here um over two and a half is minus 250 so if you want to take a slightly safer approach in case Aldridge does have success and she can nullify the grappling of Aaron Blanchfield, paying that extra 50 cents on the uh, over two and a half rather than taking Blanchfield by decision, not too bad of a, uh, an idea in my opinion. Uh, 
Hafigan saying Megamind Aldrich going to have a rough night. Me thinks I agree. Jared Curry saying Aldrich is solid, but I don't know if solid is enough to beat Blanchfield. I agree. Um, Justin saying I think the Blanchfield girl going to be the fave of everyone parlay and bets. Yeah, for sure. If Blanchfield loses, the bookies are going to make a killing that night. Absolutely. Uh, Jared Curry saying I don't think Maverick strength is as close enough. Uh, training come to Aaron's nutty technical skills when it comes to wrestling. Uh, yeah, that's another aspect of it. I'm glad that you brought that up. The technical wrestling acumen of uh, Blanchfield very much helps to secure those takedowns and secure that top position. West Coast thinks that Maverick is overrated. Justin Villegas is telling him to take that back. Uh, I, I don't think she's overrated. I think she is. Well, maybe she should have been the underdog to Maverick. Or sorry, uh, Maverick should have been the underdog to uh, to Aaron Blanchfield in the fight. So if you're talking about that and she was overrated going into that fight, I could see that as an argument, especially with how the result ended up playing out. But uh, I don't think she, as a whole, I don't think she's overrated. I do think she's still one of the top seven girls in that division, if I'm if I'm being honest. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Or so, prediction: Aaron Blanchfield, Aaron Blanchfield by decision. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Here we are looking at the UFC debut of Renat. Let me get this guy's name right. Renat Fakradinov. Fakradinov. I've heard, I've heard it so many times when I was tape studying it, and I still am probably butchering it. But Fakradinov, uh, he's going up against Andreas Mihalaitis. In terms of odds, we got minus 280 on Fakradinov and plus 220 on Andreas Mihalaitis. Now, I'm not sure whose wife Andreas Mihalaitis has fucked, but the fact that he keeps getting these... Uh, these these prospects or these highly touted prospects in their debuts is is kind of hilarious, right? Uh, actually, it's only been two fights now. If you want to include this Renat fight, but the Alex Pereira fight, he was seemingly just put in there to lose. He was a plus two ten underdog that time. He's a plus two twenty underdog this time. Um, I I think the the name value on Factor D is a huge. Uh, reason as to why this line is as big as, as it is. When you have these fighters come from that side of the world, especially that region of the world, uh, more often than not, they're, they're pretty overrated in a certain extent um, because of their name and what they're able to do on the regional scene. But, you know, I, I'm not completely turned off by what I'm seeing from Renat. The guy has decent grappling. Uh, that's pretty much his bread and butter. He wants to use his big strikes on the feet to close the distance, drag this fight to the ground, and just pummel his opponents on the ground, whether it's looking for a ground and pound or looking for a submission. And I think he'll be able to do that against uh, Mihalaitis here. But Mihalaitis is going to be, make it very difficult for him to do that. He strikes with nothing but power, as we've seen over his last couple fights. Uh, we saw him in the Alex Pereira fight, just life and death, trying to drag the fight to the ground, gas himself out, paid for it in the second round. But now he's the one going to be getting grappled here. We'll be interested to see how effective he will be in terms of stopping the takedowns because in the UFC, we haven't even seen him face a single takedown. When you look at the regional scene, like there's not much that you can really take from those fighters considering they're likely not of the level of or not when it comes to the wrestling or the grappling. So that's where my concern is trying to gauge the takedown defense of uh, Mihalaitis. It's up in the air. So to just blindly go out there and bet a guy like Renat just because of his name and, you know, the fact that he's been having grappling success against other guys on the regional scene. Again, there's a big question about uh, about Andreas's defensive grappling, and that, I think that's enough to keep me off this fight and, and paying the chalk on Renat. 
Now, don't get me wrong. Renat is still my uh, my pick and my prediction for this card, or sorry, for this specific fight. And I do think he'll be able to grind it out. Uh, but the spot that I do like here is the over one and a half. It's currently sitting at minus 150. I expect us to have a long periods of grappling and Mehalides might have some success in terms of getting back to his feet and, you know, nullifying the success that Fakradinov has from on top. But I think as this fight starts to play on longer and longer, Renat will have more success and I think it will start to drown Mihalaitis. I don't know if he'll be able to finish him, which is why I don't mind the Fakradinov via decision at plus 300. Uh, and as a hedge, I don't like I don't mind Mihalaitis via KO concerning how heavy of a striker he is. But I think he's going to struggle with the constant up-down nature of Fakradinov's game. His pressure... Um, you know, he leaves a lot of openings when he is striking. That's Renat that I'm talking about, which is what has me concerned about betting against Mihalaitis here. But uh, if if this goes the way I expect it to go, it's going to be a lot of Fakradino putting pushing him up against the cage, going for takedowns. Um, you know, a lot of that clinch to takedown to back to clinch type of scenarios is what I'm seeing playing out in this fight. So uh, I, favorite bet for this fight would be the over one and a half. Again, it's only at minus 150. I think it's going to take a while from Fakradinov to get Mihalaitis out of there. Uh, so seven and a half minutes. I think that's going to tick off the clock pretty quickly in a fight like this. So give me Renat. Renat by decision, but over one and a half will likely be where my money would go if I'm betting this fight. Uh, Jared Curry saying Andreas is the UFC's friendly neighborhood jobber, pretty much. African saying Locke knows my opinion on this guy. I, I'm forced to root for the ferocious awe of name due to a few blind parlays, but this fella going to be a great fade in the near future. Extreme crime-crushing can crushing resume. Yeah, even on the regional scene when he fought former UFC guys, all the guys are like past their prime, right? Eric Spicy looking completely out of shape. Alberto Uda, another guy that was out of shape. Is what it is. But yeah, uh, too, too wide of a line here on Renat for me to have uh, ultimate uh, confidence on him and uh, just not enough confidence on the Andreas side to not get blanketed for 15 minutes here. All right, let us move on to the next fight. We're looking at uh, Jeff Molina going up against Jalgas Zumagulov. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 180 on Jeff Molina, plus 155 on Zalgas Gulov. Now, <clears throat> everybody's all gaga over Jeff Molina, right? And how can you not be? The guy's very likable, very accessible on Twitter. He has a pretty good presence on social media. But even when he fights, you know, really puts his on puts it on his opponents with uh, his combination striking, uh, solid kickboxing game. But even earlier in his career, like on the regional scene, you see him use his grappling. You see him go to his jiu-jitsu. You see him go to his wrestling. And we haven't seen that to date in the UFC because he's wanted to go out there and just scrap with these guys, right? Uh, his UFC debut, I believe it was against Richie Lang. Uh, let me just pull that up here. Uh, UFC debut, yeah, against Orichi Lang. That was after he won on the Contender Series, a decision victory over Jacob Silva. Hard-fought victory there for him, so solid win from Jeff Molina. But the Orichi Lang fight, like, he's fighting a guy with zero to, or sorry, little to zero head movement. So he's able to get those strikes off, right? Orichi Lang starts the fight off pretty strong. Big shots coming forward, really marching down Jeff Molina. But as soon as Molina starts to open up and find his comfort zone, that's where we see Arichi start to take damage. That's where we see him start to back up. And Jeff Molina really start to take um, 
take take control of that fight just with the striking alone. So good win for him there. But again, fighting a guy with not much competency in terms of a striking defense. Then the Daniel De Silva fight. You know, De Silva, uh, very interesting fighter. Uh, you know, either likes to kill or go out on his shield pretty much. That has been the story pretty much of his entire career. Not to mention, you know, recently he just lost to Francisco Figueiredo via knee bar. But uh, that was a fight where De Silva... Had early success with the grappling, not too much though. But then once this fight got into the second round, we saw Jeff Molino really start to get his hands going. And then he found that counter right uh, that put Daniel De Silva on his butt, followed up with some ground and pound, and then got him out of there. This fight with Zalgas is going to be a little bit more interesting, right? Zalgas is a striker as well for the most part. But it's going to be interesting to see which fighter actually goes out there and decides to get the grappling game going. Because I think at a certain point, one of these guys is going to look to try to distance themselves or try to get further ahead of his opponents by initiating the grappling here. Because I could see some of these uh, striking exchanges being somewhat competitive, right? Zalgas is more of a counter striker than anything. He really leaps forward with a lot of wide winging shots. And I think that Jeff Molino with his more stricter or like crisper and straighter shots down the middle will likely have more success than what Zalgas is going to bring here. And I, that's why I do like uh, the Jeff Molina side here. But I'm just not as big on him as most people are. You know, I'm seeing a lot of people with bets on him. Obviously, he was roughly around a minus 140, minus 150 favorite, uh, you know, a couple or sorry, earlier this week. Now he's up to minus 180, minus 190 on, on a couple spots. I like the kid. Don't get me wrong. He should win this fight. But this is going to be the toughest opponents he's had to date. And I get it. Zalgas Sumagulov is one and three in his UFC career, but the the Hali and Pava fight, good argument that I probably deserve to win that fight. That Albazi fight, you know, a lot of grappling there that uh, swayed it in Albazi's favor. The Jerome Rivera one, big win for him there. The Manal Cap fight was the interesting one because we see a little bit more of a aggressive version of him. In his past couple of fights, he was more so laid back and just waiting to counter. And I think with him seeing the success that he had in the, the Jerome Rivera fight with him being a little bit more aggressive, he thought it would work out against Manal Cap, but it pretty much led him on to a, a beautiful counter shot from Manal Cap that put Zalgas on his butt and then eventually got finished there. So I'm interested to see how that could possibly deter him going into this fight against Jeff Molina because Jeff will definitely take advantage of any openings or any type of lazy entry from Zalgas, and that could potentially end the night of Zalgas as well. But I am thinking that we're going to see some respect from both sides here. I do think it will be a, a striking battle for the most part, possible grappling here and there. But for the most part, I think they're going to test out their striking against one another. But I could see this fight going the full 15 minutes. So the fight goes to decision currently sits at minus 160. I don't mind that spot at all, as I do think that's will likely go the full 50 minutes. Molina does have some good pop in his hands. Zumagulov, not as much. But uh, I think they're going to respect each other uh, a, a good amount here. I'd be surprised if Molina has another war type of fight like he did against Arichi Lang. Uh, so I do expect uh, Molina to get the better of him. More output, more damage, maybe mixing in a little bit of grappling, and he can pull away with this fight. So I'm going to go Molina. Molina by decision at plus 155. I don't mind that. Um but yeah, I'll go Molina here. But I think at a certain point, the hype will make him a favorite in a fight that he probably sh shouldn't be the favorite. Is this the fight? In my opinion, it's not. But it is a lot closer um, than I see most people making it out to be. So give me Jeff Molina. Uh, Justin talking about liking Joe Selecki. We'll get to that fight very shortly. West Coast is saying no. <laughs> 
Corey Epo saying thanks for the early predictions. No worries. Again, super busy next week, so I got to get it out as soon as I can for you. True Shot saying Molina wears him out. Uh, Sharks saying people saying Zagas got robbed against Paiva, and I just don't agree with that. It was a close fight. It was a close fight. I remember uh, Paiva got robbed against uh, Icar France, so maybe this was just karma. Let's see what MMA decision said. So majority of media scores in favor of Zuma Gulov. In terms of fans scoring off of 170 votes, uh, 93% of them gave round two to Zuma Gulov and uh, 77% of them gave round three to Zuma Gulov. So maybe rounds two and three Zuma Gulov, maybe that's what they're talking about. Close fight, not robbery, is what it is. Rick the Ruler saying, I'm of the opinion... Uh, argument can be made ZB Piva and Albazi. Those fights were competitive, no robberies. But Z3 won in the UFC, in my opinion. Won't be surprised if he wins. I'm watching the line to get too crazy. I think that we're going to see some more action on Molina as fight day gets closer. So if you are looking to bet Salgas, just chill out a little bit. I'm expecting that uh, that Molina money to keep coming in. Uh, True saying something in an interview. He said he was injured before last fight. Molina... Um, I don't recall hearing anything about that. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're looking at uh, Johnny Munoz Jr. going up against Tony Gravely. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 145 for Gravely and plus 125 the return on Johnny Munoz Jr. Very intriguing fight here, especially whenever we have a wrestler going up against a BJJ guy. And not to mention a wrestler that very much leans on that wrestling to get his victories, right? That's Tony Gravely's game. He has a decent striking game, but a lot of it is just power shots so that he can eventually set up that level change, get the takedown, and really punish his opponents on the ground. And then Munoz Jr., on the other hand, you know, his wrestling game still has a ways to go, which is why he's getting beat up by Nate Maness on the feet, which is why he loses that fight. Um, the Jamie Simmons fight lasted a little bit longer than it should have because of his lack of wrestling game. And I think he'll likely be the poorer wrestler in this fight, uh, which, you know, doesn't really help his cause. But given that Gravely will likely look to take this fight to the ground, Munoz is going to be in his in his wheelhouse of just fighting off of his back. Now, Gravely, I believe it is. Let me just get the correct number here for you guys. Uh, uh, seven career losses for Tony Gravely, five of them. Coming via submission, so not a good look, especially going up against a BJJ black belt like Johnny Munoz Jr., not to mention a guy who's been living on the mats pretty much since he was a kid. Uh, but those uh, submission losses coming to Pat Sabatini in 2050, Ricky Bandejas, uh, sorry, I said 2050, did I say that? I meant 2015 to Sabatini. Uh, in 2016, you got subbed by Ricky Bandejas. 2017, got subbed by Manny Bermudez. 2018, got subbed by Apache Mix. Not a bad loss there. And then in 2020, gets uh, choked out by John uh, Brett Johns after he just pretty much got a pace put on him that he was not able to keep up with. Now, Johnny Munoz Jr. doesn't look like a guy that's going to put a crazy pace on him, right? He will force Gravely to work, especially on top, when he's you know throwing up submission attempts or even looking for reversals. But I'm just not sure that it's actually going to work on Gravely here. Early in Gravely's career, like he comes into the UFC, or sorry, he comes into the MMA world strictly as a wrestler. 
since aligning with ATT earlier in his career, he really started to round out the rest of his game. He has good top pressure. He's able to establish that top pressure with some big ground and pound and, uh, you know, usually ends up finding a, a submission victory or, or a TKO victory from on top. Or he can just grind his fighter out over 50 minutes like he did in his last fight against Simon Oliveira. Johnny Munoz Jr., he's... I think he has his work cut out for him here. Like his submission line right now is plus 300, which is not a bad hedge if you're looking to bet Gravely here at minus 145. But I do think that we see this fight go the full 50 minutes or Gravely controlling Munoz from on top, whether it's, uh, sorry, whether it's up against the cage, you know, just roughing him up there or eventually when he gets him to the ground, I think we'll see him stay safe enough to be able to grind out Munoz Jr. It's just going to get hella sweaty the later that this fight goes. And Johnny Munoz Jr. to win in round three at plus 1,200. It's just it's just something is whispering in the back of my ear right now to be like, take a shot on that. Take a shot on that. And I might have to. You guys know I love those four-digit plus money round three props. And Munoz Jr. could definitely pull off a third-round submission victory here against Gravely. But uh, I'm hoping that Gravely has really mixed or, or or gotten that confidence in his top game where he's not worried about um the submissions or reversals that are going to be coming his way here from uh from bottom so yeah i, I just don't know if my heart could take it if uh, i had the money on gravel here like more than three units on him at all but he should win this fight he should be able to grind this out and he should win it via decision but uh munio's round three sign me up for that Uh, let's see. John Darvo saying Jeff Molina is working with skinny bets on this fight. They have a large plan. How do you feel about that? Yeah, skinny bets is going to do what skinny bets does. The guy's a celebrity at this point in time. True shots saying I take a stab on Johnny Munoz Jr. I, I could, I understand why. African saying sprinkling round two and three for Munoz just because gravity cardio has not impressed me and a tired wrestler is always live to get caught in some shit. Exactly. Jaden saying love these new more catchy titles. Yeah, I'm trying to do that just to, you know, try to get catchy titles. You know what I mean? Try to be convicted in my main event prediction. So I might be giving up what my prediction is by naming it the way that I do, but uh, I think it'll catch more eyeballs the more that I do them. Uh, Levi Whitebow saying Munoz by sub. Again, I, I understand it. I could get it. Justin Villegas saying Gravely wins by having more UFC fights, more experience. That means split decision. True Shot saying Johns is in PFL now. I, I think John, Johns is in Bellator, actually, and he went to Bellator because they're offering him more money, in my opinion. So he's a solid fighter. You know, it's not uh, a diss on Gravely at all that Johns is in Bellator, and he lost to Johns, and I don't think anybody should be taking it that way. John Darville is saying Munoz is everyone's favorite dog this week. I don't see it. I DM Nate, who fought uh, both of this, and he's siding with Tony. Yep. I, I get why there is love out there for him, but I I'm not sure how often. True Shot saying, how many subs do we see from bottom and ends of the UFC? Not often. But you have a good concoction here of the two, right? Like you have a, a wrestler that has known to gas later in fights. But the question is, will Munoz be able to make him work enough to cause him to gas? Rick DeRule is saying Munoz only path to victory is a sub. In my opinion, I think Gravely got more paths for keeping it striking. Kill him, stay safe in guard, and get a decision on Gravely. I don't know if he will look to strike more than he will look to grapple here. 
one thing I find is like when fighters stray from their game plan, they gas out a little bit easier, whether it's, you know, a striker grappling or a grappling striking or a grappler striking. You know what I mean? Like, I think it might cause gravity a little bit more stress. Munoz can make it close in the striking. It's not like, you know, gravity is Israel Adesanya on the feet by any means. So it's good enough. It's it's the quintessential wrestler striker that he is, right? Wide winging hooks, big power shots. All of it just to close the distance to change levels and get a takedown. Corey Yupo saying, gravely cost me the last five fireball and popcorn for this one. Anthony Rivera Medina saying, I like Munoz, but I like the over if any bet. I don't mind that. It's weird, though, because if Munoz wins, it's likely a submission inside the distance, right? So got to pick one or the other. True shot saying outside of Mershark. Yeah, Mershark is uh, very difficult to deal with. Anthony Rivera saying skinny bets only post winning tickets after the fact. Yep. Yep. That's how these celebrities are. And that's all why I'll likely never be as big as these guys because I show off my losses as well. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next fight here. We're looking at uh, Nicholas Stolze versus Benoit Saint-Denis. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus... Uh, minus 155 for Benoit Saint-Denis and plus 135 for Nicolas Stolze. Um, interesting fight here, right? It's unfortunate that Benoit Saint-Denis is always going to be known for the guy that uh, nearly lost his life against Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos in his UFC debut back in October at UFC 267. Um you know, he he did land a takedown and some big shots even after people thought that it, that fight should have been stopped. But it's not a good look seeing him get beat up the way that he did. When Benoit is on and he is in his groove, he's able to go out there, get his opponents to the ground, and just devastate them from on top, whether it's with ground and pound or submissions. He is very strong in those grappling positions. So I don't doubt that he'll be able to land takedowns here. I don't doubt that he'll have good success from on top. Now, Stolce has never been submitted in his... Uh, MMA career. He has obviously been knocked out in his last fight by Jared Gooden, but uh, I think Benoit will be looking to ground this fight ASAP and trying to get for get a finish pretty much immediately. Stolze will obviously be, be the better striker here, and if he is able to keep this fight upright or survive the early onslaught and start to come on later in this fight, I think he could eventually find the finish himself. So if you guys can't tell where I'm going here, I will likely be looking to go back to the well for the under two and a half in Benoit Saint-Denis fights. I think he has a good uh, you know, partner with him in this fight to uh, to to make that cash. It should have cashed in the last fight against Elizio Zaleski dos Santos, but I do believe it will cash here against Nicolas Stolze. Um, I do think it will be Benoit that gets the top position and then eventually finds that uh, you know full mount to either get a ground and pound from on top or eventually find a rear naked choke or even get a ground and pound when he has the back of Stolze. Um, but again, it, it, this is a two-way street. I do think that Stolze has good enough striking to touch up Saint-Denis and get him out of there if he does have enough success on the feet, like I said. Uh, uh, slick shots down the middle. Uh, he's working with Syndicate MMA now, so I'm interested to see what John Wood is able to do to elevate him to a new level. But uh, I think this is a great fight for either guy to go out there and get a finish. So fight doesn't go to decision, minus 175, under 2.5, minus 150. I will likely have at least a, a play there to win a unit on that, whether it's 1.5 units at minus 150 on the under 2.5 or the 1.75 units on the fight doesn't go to decision to win one unit. 
But in terms of a prediction, I'm going to go Benoit Saint-Denis. Saint-Denis by submission plus 200. I don't mind that. Um, and then on the flip side for Stolze, him to win by knockout plus 500. I don't mind that either. Prediction is Benoit Saint-Denis, though. True Shot saying uh, he bets Saint-Denis, saying that Stolze isn't any good. I don't want to... I don't want to completely write out Stolzer, right? There's guys, been guys in the past who start off their UFC careers 0-2. I, I hate writing off guys that just got off, got knocked out like viciously in their last fight, right? We're going to talk about another one in a, in a couple fights here, uh, another solid underdog that I like who's had a, a rough 0-2 skid to start his UFC career. But as things start to go on, you see them really start to show the rest of their game. So I'm not going to completely write out Stolzer here, which is why I'm not big on betting Benoit. But I am big on betting the violent spot here. So give me under two and a half. Uh, but Benoit is who I'm going to be predicting to win this fight. African saying justice for Benoit. Vyacheslav let him get his brains beaten out. Yeah, I'm all over him in this spot. I, I think we'll see Benoit come out with like a, a chip on his shoulder as well, especially after how that last fight went. All right. Let's move on to the next one here. We're, we're looking at Ode Osborne going up against Zaruk Adashev. In terms of odds, we currently have minus 174 Ode Osborne, plus 150 the return on Zaruk Adashev. Now, Zaruk is actually one of the guys that I was talking about when we were talking about uh, Nicholas Stolz just now. Guys that start off their career 0-2 and have a vicious knockout in one of those, uh, usually they're written off pretty quickly, right? Uh so he got knocked out in his UFC debut on short notice against Tyson Nam. Tyson Nam, say what you want about him, but he's probably one of the heaviest hitters in MMA history in the lower weight classes. The guy just has dynamite in his hands. So, you know, quick loss for Zaruk in, in, in his UFC debut. Then in his sophomore walk to the octagon, he's a, a big underdog to Sumadarji. And even Sumadarji's inside the distance line that night was minus 200. Everybody and their mother thought that Sumadarji was going to go out there and discharge him just as uh, Tyson Nam did. I felt I was one of the few guys that were telling people to pump the brakes on that. I think we'll see a better version of Zaruk here. And although he lost that fight, he made it the full 15 minutes. And that fight, although 30-27 on a couple of people's scorecards, was closer than what a 30-27 usually represents. Two judges actually scored the first round for him, given that he was crashing the pocket, landing big strikes, and getting out. But... Sumodarju was obviously going to uh, land some big strikes that night as well. The interesting aspect of that fight is the fact that with the two judges scoring the first round for Zuruk Adeshev, he was having tremendous success in that second round. He hurt Sumodarji a couple times, and then he obviously gets hurt himself. But had he not got hurt himself after already hurting Sumodarji early in that round, he could have stole the second round as well, and we could have been looking at a, a W for him via decision. Again, it's a big what if, right? It's MMA. Shit happens. You know, you get rocked uh, when you're winning a fight. Look at Rob Font against Marlon Vera. You know, you could be winning 95% of a fight or a round and get knocked down, and then you end up losing the round. So um, I'm playing a lot of big what ifs here. Now, what I'm trying to get is that I think that Sumudarji and Tyson Nam are much better strikers than what Ode Osborne brings to the table. Ode, I think he's more physically gifted than he is actually skilled or skilled, I should say. Um, and he does have some decent power in his hands, but he's not a big knockout puncher, right? Like a lot of the work that he got done was uh, just him being more physical than his opponents. Let me let me get the actual um, 
numbers here in terms of O'Day's finishing rate. I know he's finished a handful of his opponents, um, but he's able to get them to the ground and just punish them from on top. He has a bunch of submission victories on his record. He could absolutely be looking for a way to drag this fight to the ground and have some success there, but I'm not completely uh, impressed with this grappling game. You got Zaruk Adeshev working out of New Jersey right now, training on the daily with guys like Frankie Edgar and Timur Valiev and training with Mark Henry. So you got to believe that, you know, they have him ready in those grappling realms. I do like Adeshev here. Like, I, I, I think he's a very solid underdog here. And we've seen in O'Day Osborne's last fight that he doesn't really have the greatest gas tank. Now, it's not like a gas tank issue to the point that he gasses out and, and will get finished in the third round. Uh, but it will be to the extent that he gets outworked as CJ Vergara was easily able to outwork him in that spot. So mix in, you know, the the constant movement. That's an issue that O'Day had with uh, Manel Cap before he got knocked out. He couldn't get it set. He couldn't get any punches off because Manel Cap was pretty much moving the entire time. That's Zarouk's game as well, right? More often than not, he's at a reach disadvantage in his fights. He will be in this fight as well. So he uses his footwork and his movement to try to keep his opponents off balance so that when he does crash for with his shots, he's able to get his shots off without really eating too much damage in return. Now here's the ace in the hole, in my opinion. The calf kicks from Zaruk Adeshev, right? You got to believe he's going to be investing in those early in this fight, just as he did against Ryan Benoit in his only UFC win to date. Uh, especially dealing with that eight-inch reach disadvantage, got to believe it's going to be a lot easier to kick that leg that O'Day Osborne likes to leave nice and uh, out there on, on a silver platter for his opponents. So I do think that we'll see Adeshev really attack that nice and early here. If Ode can't get him out of there in that first round, I believe that Adeshev will likely cruise in the second and third rounds with his movement, with his footwork. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him try it to mix in some grappling of his own, right? Ode didn't really seem to have much off of his back in that third round against CJ Vergara. So if Zarouk can make him work, land some big shots early in this fight, damage that lead leg, start to slow down Ode, he will have success the longer that this fight goes. So... I apologize for continuously itching my nose. I don't know what it is, but right on the tip of my nose, I just keep, it feels itchy. I don't know what it is. I don't do Coke. I promise. I've never done Coke. It's not, none of that shit. But uh, yeah, I apologize for anybody wondering why I keep uh, scratching my nose, but right on the tip of my nose, it just feels scratchy. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So Zarouk will likely be my dog of the night play here. I love the plus 150 on him. I'm looking to place a bet on his uh, decision prop as well once it starts to drop on some of my bookies. I like the plus 300 line. You know, he doesn't have much finishing ability. And just as we saw in his last fight against uh, Ryan Benoit, if he is up two rounds, he is okay with completely coasting in that third round. And I don't think that uh, Ode will have enough juice in his tank left to take advantage of, uh, of Zarouk you know, cruising the way that he did. So, uh, yeah, give me um, give me Adeshev, plus 150. Love that line. And uh, give me him by decision as well. African saying, I actually think Adeshev KO is pretty live. He's a little fried cracker of a dude. All day length seems pretty menacing in this spot, but I like the little fellow here riding with you, lad. Yes. Um, again, I, I do think that O'Day should be the slight favor here considering the size advantage that he's going to have. But... If he can't get that early finish, I think it's going to be a long night for him. Rick the Ruler saying O'Day about to be that apple pie shitter. He's a gasser after third round in Vergara fight. He sits up and leans against the fence. Then stand up and put his hands up. Yep. African saying I was big on Sue when he fought Adeshev. I'd be lying my ass off if I wasn't sweating bad at some points. Yeah, Adeshev made that a scrappy fight, man. 
True Shot saying, I wish they'd burn the Apex down. Hell no. I love the Apex. And I really want to go back. Like, I really, I said I've been wanting to go back for a long time. As you guys know, I went to the, uh, the Gaslam and Cannoneer card there. The best fan experience you'll ever have. I promise. African saying it's not proper to officer the McGregor effect. <laughs> there you go. All right. So Adeshev likely will be my favorite dog on this card. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. We are looking at Damon Jackson taking on short notice Daniel Argueta. I'm sure I butchered that name, but is what it is. Uh, minus 270 on Damon Jackson, plus 230 the return on Dan Argueta. Now, Argueta was on season 29, I believe, of the Ultimate Fighter, and he lost in the first round again, or lost in the first round of the tournament against Ricky Tercios. That went uh, a full three rounds. He ended up losing that fight via decision. But running the tape on this guy, you know, if it wasn't the wrestling tattoo on his bicep that will tell you uh, what his style is, he, he likes to grapple. He likes to take his opponents to the ground. He use, likes to use his strength against his opponents. And uh, from there, he's able to either get a submission or some good ground and pound from on top. I believe uh, six out of his eight fights have finished inside the distance. Um, and uh, you guys know I love Damon Jackson and betting fights where the fight doesn't go to decision in his fights. And I think it's actually going to come to fruition here against Daniel Argueta as well. Let me get the specific number here on the amount of violence bet on James or violence fights on David Jackson's record. So he has 24 total professional MMA fights. Only two of them have ever gone to a decision, both of which he has won. How crazy is that? I apologize. He does have a draw on his record as well. So uh, that's three fights on his record that have gone to a decision. Uh one, one of them, or sorry, one, two of them, and obviously went to a draw the last time. So uh, Dan Argueta taking this on short notice up a weight class. Got to believe that's going to cause him some uh, some stress here, especially considering that Damon Jackson will likely be the much bigger fighter here. Metrically speaking, I believe he's four inches taller than him. I'm not sure about the reach advantage here that Damon Jackson is going to have, but it's not like Damon Jackson is going to try to manage range here at all. We know what his style is. He's going to look to get this fight to the ground. He's going to look to grind his opponent until he's able to open up a submission opportunity or a TKO opportunity. I think it's just a matter of time. I think we'll see Argueta start to slow down once this fight reaches the second round. And then after that, I think we see Damon Jackson eventually find that opening to find a finish here. Uh, Jackson, much better BJJ than Argueta, in my opinion, not to mention a tremendous amount of experience over Argueta as well, right? Damon Jackson made his pro MMA debut in 2012. We're on the flip side for Argueta. First professional MMA fight. Uh, a year shy of COVID. May of 2019 is when he had his first ever professional MMA fight. So, yeah. We saw him really start to slow down in the Ricky Tercios fights when he was not able to establish his top control. And I think that's what he's going to struggle here against with uh, Damon Jackson as well. So uh, I'm liking the fight doesn't go to decision here. No odds on it yet. Uh, you know, obviously no props available for this fight yet, considering it just got made two days ago. But uh, I'm expecting the fight doesn't go to decision probably to be around minus 300 or so. Possible parlay spot. There's a couple other fight doesn't go to decisions on this card that will likely be chalky that you can parlay it with. But yeah, I think that this follows the trend of Damon Jackson fights and we see Damon Jackson get a finish later on. Justin Villagas saying, I'm going to roll with Damon Jackson. He can keep any of those low-level fighters. I agree. 
True Shot saying Jackson could finish early. I agree. Quick the Ruler saying Jackson all day. I agree. Jackson's stand-up isn't terrible. It could use some work. We know it's more so flashy and, and big power shots so that he can just get his hands around you and get you to the ground. But, uh, yeah. Fight doesn't go to decision is my favorite spot on that fight. But uh, the prediction is going to be Damon Jackson. Uh, Damon Jackson, probably round two or round three submission. All right. That brings us to our prelim headliner, which is Joe Selecki going up against Alex Da Silva. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus uh, 170 on Joe Selecki, plus 145 the return on Alex Da Silva. Interesting because Joe Selecki actually opened up as a minus 240 favorite. A ton of love coming in on Alex Da Silva over the last couple of days. And I get it, but I think that the odds are finally settling where they should be. And I do think that Joe Selecki should be the favorite here. I think minus 170 is accurate of where it should be roughly. But uh, this will likely be a grapple-heavy matchup for both guys. When De Silva has success, like he had in the Rodrigo Vargas fight, it's dragon fights to the ground. He had some early success against Alexander Yakovlev. He had some early success against Brad Riddell. But as the fight started to wear on, both of those guys, Yakovlev and Riddell, were able to stop the grappling of De Silva and get their own damage off, eventually winning those fights. I believe Yakovlev via submission and then Riddell via decision. Joe Selecki... You know, suffered his first ever career loss last time around against Jared Gordon, where uh, he had tremendous success in that first round. And had Jared Gordon not gotten back to his feet at the ending of that round, uh, I, that quite possibly could have been a 10-8 round. So it possibly could have been a draw, honestly. But Jared Gordon did manage to get back to his feet, get a little bit of damage off. And that, I, for me, that was enough for him to win back a little bit of points there to only lose that round 10-9 compared to the 10-8. And then after that, Jared Gordon did a good job of, you know, stopping the grappling of Joe Selecki, even spending some time on top of Joe Selecki and getting some good shots on top from there and then winning that fight via decision. Now, it's kind of concerning with Joe Selecki's lack of ground game, right? Or sorry, let me let me rephrase that. Joe Selecki's lack of jiu-jitsu off of his back. He's highly accredited, right? Like the, people are sucking this guy off with how good his jiu-jitsu is, myself included, but when you see him on his back in the Jim Miller fight, when you see him on his back in the Jared Gordon fight, you're like, this guy's a high-level BJJ black belt? Where's Where are the reversals? Where's the submission attempts? To me, it looks like he's just trying to hold on to his opponent to try to garner a stand-up. That's it. Like, there's not much offense coming off of his back in terms of submission attempts or reversals. It's not a good look, in my opinion. So if Alex De Silva finds himself in top position in this first round, I think Selecki gives that round away. But luckily for Selecki, I do think he is the more tenacious of the two, allowing him to secure those positions in round two and round three because De Silva, even him, off of his back, not the greatest. So I do think that we'll see Joe Selecki, you know, th there's a good chance he could drop that first round. So possible live betting entry spot here on Joe Selecki going into round two. But I think in rounds two and three, we'll see him wrestle harder. We'll see him go for those spots and try to dominate those spots harder than what we're going to see from Alex De Silva. I wanted to bet Joe Selecki. I just can't. I honestly just can't. Uh, the, the the lack of work off of his back is just, it's it's atrocious. And it's really making me second guess betting him in the future, honestly. So the spot that it's kind of sticking out to me the most here is the over two and a half at minus 140. I'm not much of an over better, but I do think that that has some value here considering the back and forth nature I expect this fight to be in the grappling realm. Sure, Selecki could find a finish, uh, find a submission of his own against the Silva here at certain points. 
But I think we'll see him stick to position over submission more than anything, especially against a guy in De Silva who, if he does find a reversal, that could be the it for the round for Joe Selecki, you know, in terms of getting ridden, uh, ridden out by himself. So I'm going Joe Selecki. Joe Selecki by decision over two and a half. I'm liking that the most. Uh, let's see. True shot saying De Silva slows bad. I agree. Uh, Rick DeRue saying this can't be right. Joe and Silva got to be opening the main card. I know, right? We got a we got a banger women MMA fight to uh, start off the main card, which I'll talk about very shortly after we get through these comments. Shout out to my guy PayPal my money DFS saying Slucky cardio ain't there. That's why uh, he's lazy on bottom. Makes sense. African saying, I have to rock with Selecki, De Silva Cardi, no bueno, and there's nowhere worse to be than under a good top player when you're out of gas, other than standing across from Engano or Alex Barra. I, I agree, but like both guys could gas here, right? Which is why I like the over more than anything, to be honest. Savedra9 saying, this motherfucker submitted a cowboy. He's a monster going forward in the grappling. Uh, submitting cowboy at this point in you know cowboy's career, I don't think it's the biggest accolades, honestly. And I don't want to discredit Cowboy at all, but the guy's getting up there in age, right? 22 version, 2022 version of Cowboy Sony. No bueno, like my guy African says. Thomas Kane saying, hot take if De Silva comes in less muscular, take him to win. Uh, tough to truly have a uh, stance based on physique, in my opinion. Rick the Ruler saying, I don't know if Joe got discouraged because he couldn't get takedown in the third or if he gasses, but he slows down just as bad as Silva, in my opinion. Silva got better tanked to me. He was dealing with a way fresher fighter and Rodella versus Gordon. Um, yeah, both guys could shit the bed here with the cardio and their gas tank. So I get the I get the love on De Silva, especially when he was plus 200. I get the love still if people want to bet him as the underdog. But I do think that was C. Selecki. Maybe get like the back of uh, De Silva in the second and third round and just ride out those positions. So give me uh, give me Selecki. Selecki via decision. All right. Let's move on to the main card here. But before I do, I want to shout out all the live viewers that we currently have uh, on this Friday night. Rather than out there partying and enjoying time with your family and friends, you guys are here rocking with me on this Friday night, and I greatly appreciate that. The least I ask you guys to do is hit that like and subscribe below if you guys haven't already. It's the best way to show support for you guys. If you guys are watching this on the back end, make sure you guys drop a comment. Let me know what your lock of the night play is, and we'll see if it ends up cashing come fight time. But uh, that is the best way to support your boy. If you want to go that extra mile, you guys are obviously welcome to hit up the Patreon as well. Five bucks a month. Link is in the description below. Super cheap. I know I'm not the greatest out there, but the five bucks a month truly helps in terms of allowing me to continue to do this thing full time. Drop the content for you guys that you so desire and uh, drop the picks as well when your boy's on a, on a hot streak. So like I said, uh, I'm on a five weekend winning streak as of this moment. Uh, and until I hit my next losing weekend, uh, all the picks are only going to be behind the Patreon wall. So uh, that is the only way, way you guys will be able to get those picks. I will obviously have a free bet that I'll drop closer to the event. But uh, for the most part, the entire card will be behind the Patreon paywall until I hit my next losing event. And then secondly, 
Make sure you guys check out Coolbet as well, another great supporter of the show. They're based out of Toronto, which is why I really fuck with them. Make sure you guys use the promo code MMALOTN2, and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. Check them out. You guys can parlay props. You guys can, uh, you know, get nice and early lines on some of these fights. Um, sorry, not early, but sometimes they lag on their lines. Uh, so if you are late on on taking a bet and lines are starting to move other places, Coolbet is one of those spots that kind of lags uh, on updating their odds. So you might be able to take advantage still. So make sure you guys go check out Coolbet. Promo code MMALOTN2. Uh, just to let them know that your boy has come in through. Uh, True Shot saying it isn't even about the five bucks for me. It's about thinking about fights in a different way. There you guys go. Appreciate it. Nick Sisson, appreciate you stopping by, my friend. Been a minute saying hello, my friend. It's been a while since I've caught you live. Everybody hit that like button and pay attention. Yes, sir. Appreciate that. Justin Villegas saying, yeah, I want to go to a club, Dungeon Dragons, and tea. I'll take any day. Sugar-free tea. Not trying to get wild. That's my guy right there. All right. Let us go to the main card now. We got a six-fight main card. Uh, what time is all this starting? Ooh, it is an early card. Lucky for you guys, I'm not going to be able to watch it live because I'm going to be uh, doing wedding festivities that day. That is like wedding day for me that Saturday. But uh, 1 p.m. Eastern prelim start time, 4 p.m. Eastern main card start time. And the first fight on the main card, it is a rematch of a fight that took place four years ago between Felice Herrig and Karolina Kavakovic. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 150 for Felice Herrig and plus 130 to return on Karolina Kavakovic. Now, I don't understand this line at all. I feel like I honestly just want to read directly from my best bets and props article because I feel like I laid it out perfectly and I don't want to miss any of these points. And this is the only fight that I'll do it for for this podcast because I don't want to just have a script that I'm reading to you guys the entire time. Uh, I'd rather just talk off the top of my head, honestly. But for this fight specifically, I feel like I nailed it in my best bets and props article, which is up on the Patreon. So I'll read it for you guys here because it perfectly highlights how I feel this fight's going to go. Let me just wet the whistle real quick and then I'll get to it. <clears throat> All right, so very interesting matchup between two women who are now afterthoughts in the strawweight division. Kavakovic seemingly retired after the beatdown she received from Yan Zhaonan back in February of 2020, but decided to try her luck again at UFC 265, where she ended up losing to Jessica Penny. Uh, we saw a very detrimental and poor decision on Carolina's part to mix up with Penny on the mat, causing the submission opportunity for Penny to arise. Carolina has been training at American Top Team for the last two camps, trying to find that fire again and find her first win since 2018. Coincidentally, her last win was actually against her opponent this weekend. That night in April 2018, Carolina used her superior striking and clinch work to batter Felice Herrig over 15 minutes. It was a split decision victory for Carolina. However, most believe there wasn't much argument for a Herrig scorecard. Carolina is 0-5 since that fight, uh, dropping... Uh, sorry, is 0-5 since that fight, dropping fights to Jessica Andrade, Michelle Watterson, Alexa Grasso, Yan Zhaonan, and most recently, Jessica Penny. Herrig has been relatively inactive as she's only had two fights since their initial meeting. Herrig has struggled relatively, or sorry, Herrig has struggled with knee injuries, specifically a torn ACL she suffered back in late 2018. 
She got a surgery done apparently, but there are many issues stemming from that, which forced her to get another surgery after her fight against Verna Jandiroba in August 2020. Both women are on the back end of their 30s, and you've got to believe numerous knee surgeries likely isn't a good sign for Felice Herrig. I don't even want to bring up the OnlyFans narrative here, as Felice seems to be... Uh, content outside of the cage with how successful her venture into OnlyFans has been. I think it's atrocious that Herrick has opened as the favorite in this fight, and I think it's a clear representation of recency bias. Carolina has been active but on a bad losing skid, while Herrick has been on a losing skid but hasn't been as active. The obvious play here seems to be Carolina, and given how the first fight went down, it doesn't seem like Carolina will have much issue uh, should this fight hit the mat like it did in the Penne fight. I think we'll see a spirited performance from Carolina here to help her notch her first win in four years, fueled by combinations, clinch work, and maybe even some takedowns. This underdog price on Carolina seems to only be available on a couple books as other books are lagging on putting the lineup. I expect Carolina to take some action here, and it wouldn't surprise me if she ended up as the favorite come fight time. I'd auto-bet her as an underdog if you have access to it. Nothing more than a unit to a unit and a half. So I do think the superior striking of uh, Carolina will work out here. The knee injuries from the Felice Herrig side, not a good look. And like I said, even though she's been act more active than Felice Herrig, um, those losses aren't, you know, horrible losses. She's th there's nothing that Felice Herrig has done since that last fight that makes me believe she deserves to be the favorite here. I think people are just blindly fading Carolina Kavakovic because of the recent blunders in her career. What the fuck has Felice Herrig done? Nothing. Nothing. Not to mention, Felice Herrig's the older one here too. So I'm going. Um, I'm going, uh, uh, Carolina here. I'm hoping that when she starts dropping, uh, or the odds start dropping on the bookies that I have available to me, she'll still be an underdog, because I'll I'll make a bet on her. So Vajra saying congrats on the wedding. Appreciate the love, my friend. Savidra so saying Herrick all day. She only lost bad matchups. Carolina lost her mojo. Has she though? Has she? Savidra so saying Felice went to a split versus Prime Carolina. I thought I don't think it should have been a split. I don't know what that one judge was smoking. That was not a split. True saying Harry guys in front of two plus years and is 37 now. Yep, she'll be 38 in September. Rick the Ruler is saying, what, what is the UFC thinking? Why is this the main card opener? Two hot-ish women. That's why. That's why. Ultimate pick saying, how many euros is a unit? Uh, a unit is 1% of your total betting bankroll. So it is different for everybody. So if you have $1,000 that you're betting, or sorry, if you have $1,000 that you've set aside for betting, 1% of that would be $10. Vulcan saying, hi, brother. I want to record predictions together soon, hopefully. Maybe, 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 maybe. I got plenty of guys on the list right now. Uh, one by decision. All right, yeah, I'm going to go Carolina by decision. Let's see as those odds and those props drop. All right, let us move to the next fight here. Something a little bit more spirited we can get into is Alonzo Menafield going up against Asker. Uh, what's this guy's name? Asker Mozarov. I hope that's... I hope I'm saying his name right. Yeah, Mozarov. Askar Mozarov. In terms of odds, we got minus 150. 
155 for Alonzo Menafield, plus 135 the return on Akar Mozrov. And I have a sneeze coming, so I'm just going to quickly mute my mic. And it subsided. That was hilarious. Uh, yeah, so this Askar Mozrov guy is like the definition of a glass cannon because there's been an instant in one of his fights where he even tapped two strikes when the when when things weren't going his way. Not a good look. That was five fights, ago, sorry, four fights ago for him uh, where he lost via strikes to Christian Torres, who was 14 and 10 going into that fight. That was December of 2019. Since then, he's picked up three straight wins, uh, one coming in two and a half minutes, one coming in 30 seconds, and another coming in 30 seconds. More often than not, he's going out there and starching his opponents within a minute. And that's either because, you know, incompetent matchmaking or guys are just shit scared of the specimen that they see in, in front of them in Askar Mozarov. Uh, like I said, he is a glass cannon. He goes out there, tries to finish you in that first round. If he's not able to, if he faces any adversity, he looks for a way out. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if if Alonzo Benefield gets another submission victory in this spot. All of the losses on Mozarov's record, first-round losses. And some notable names as well. Luke Jamal, former UFC fighter. Uh, Christian Torres, I guess a couple of you guys will know them. Yeah. Sorry, I thought there were, there's more than that, but there's not. <laughs> but he's fighting in a lot of these obscure leagues, uh, a lot of China regional scene fights against 0-1 guys, 8-8 eight eight guys, 6-8 and eight guys, 1-3 and three guys. Like, it's just absolute can-crusher territories. And now, he is live for, like, the first 45 to minute of, uh, of the fight, right? He swings with bad intentions. Uh, he spins a lot. He jumps a lot. Uh, his kicks, his, his punches, his knees, they all have vicious intentions but if he's not able to land them early he does start to slow down and his opponents can get him out of there so the spot that i'm looking at fight doesn't go to decision right that seems to be the easiest spot here currently sitting at minus 350 i'm seeing minus 600 on five dimes but bet online has minus 350 betway has minus 275 i'm waiting for more spots to open it up but like even the under one and a half now it's minus 185 but earlier it was minus 240 minus 225 now it's minus 185. So as it gets down, and if it gets closer to like minus 150, minus 160, I might just bet the under one and a half. But I feel like the fight doesn't go to the decision. It has got to be the lock of the night play. But I'm not the type of guy to give you guys a minus 350 lock of the night play, and nor do I want to do parlays as my lock of the night plays anymore because I would just parlay this fight doesn't go to the decision with something else on the card. But I don't want to do that. Easy fight here for Menafield as long as his durability holds up early, in my opinion. This Mozrov guy, you know, might get a flash win. Like, he he might be the next John Phillips, you know what I mean? Where he needs a guy to engage with him inside the pocket like Alan Amadovsky did against uh, John Phillips back in the day. But, uh, yeah, if he if he can't get a couple wins here, he's going to get cut pretty quickly inside the UFC. He's entertaining win, lose, or draw. I just don't think that this is the matchup for him to uh, to get it done in. True shot saying most bet 2% per unit. Maybe do a show on wagering money management. I might. I might. True shot saying if Menafield fights tomorrow, he can win easily. I agree. 
Justin saying uh, Medifield getting a stoppage. I agree. African saying fight doesn't go to the decision at minus 275 is in every single one of my parlays. I may piss hot just from watching this fight. Someone's going to get fucking blasted. I agree. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Shout out to my guy on PTV, sir, here saying, I love the name of this video. You were right about Holly Holm being a vet as well. She got robbed. On to the next one. You have a honeymoon glow about you. I don't even notice your background. <laughs> uh, the wedding week starts this week. So that's why I'm doing the podcast on this Friday. Uh, because I will be dropping zero content next week. All right. Not too much reason to spend more time on that uh, Mozarov fight, but Menafield first or second round finish. Submission prop wouldn't be a bad play either. I believe that's currently sitting around. Menafield by sub is plus 700. I don't mind that. Menafield by KO plus 155. I wouldn't be surprised to go on for a, a sub. I will also say this. I hit up Safe Sayud and I gave him all the tape on Mozrov that we have on the tape index. So hopefully that helps him out devising a game plan to weather that early storm and then get him out of there later. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got UFC debutante Karini Silva going up against uh, Poliana Botelho. Pretty much a pick and fight here. Uh, some spots you'll actually see minus 125 on Karini Silva, plus 105 on Poliana Botelho. Weird fight. Weird, weird fight. You guys were wondering why uh, Carolina and Herrig were on the main card. Why the fuck is Botelho and Silva on the main card? I don't get it. Both girls, when they do look for, uh, or sorry, are looking their best, they have uh, a solid success rate in grappling. They're able to take their opponents to the ground, they're able to control them there, and they're able to grind them out. But they also show some deficiencies there as they've both been submitted with their uh, from while being on top of their opponents. So that's not a good look on either side. I think Botelia has a little bit more active of a guard off of her back than Karine Silva. So if there is somebody that's going to get a sub from guard, maybe it's going to be the Botelio side. But I do think that Botelio's lack of takedown defense it makes me lean on the Silva side ever so slightly. I don't have extreme confidence on either or confidence on either side here, but I do think that we'll see these women go back and forth in most of these grappling exchanges, causing this fight to go over two and a half rounds, which currently sits at minus 180. But I do lean on the Canadian Silva side, plus 225. I don't see, like, there are obvious holes in her game, but I don't see as many holes as what Botelio brings to the table. Like, Botelio very, very much lacks urgency in terms of getting back to her feet. We saw her attempt to get back to her feet a, a couple times in her last fight, but just not to the best of her uh, her abilities. And I do think that Canadian Silva will do a good enough job in terms of holding her down and grinding her out. In terms of the striking, I think it's fairly even. I don't even know if you can give either woman the advantage in terms of the uh, uh, the, the striking here. So I'm going to lean with Silva here. I do think she'll be the hungrier of the two, making her UFC debut, and will likely be able to grind up Botelho over 15 minutes. Like I said, favorite bet for this fight would be the over two and a half, uh, but prediction is going to be Silva and Silva by decision. I wonder if there's anybody that actually has... Um, Uh, uber confidence on this fight. Uh, praise to you if you have uber confidence on this fight. MPTV saying I'm taking Botelho inside the distance parlay is because she has finishing ability and she's a slight dog, not confident whatsoever. This is my degenerate parlay. There you go. I could see Botelho's armbar off of her back. Possibility in this type of fight. If anybody's betting more than two or three units on this fight, though, God be with you. 
All right, let us move on to the next fight here. The next three fights should be some bangers. First up, we got Mike Trezano going up against Lucas Almeida. In terms of odds, we currently have minus 230 on Michael Trezano and plus 195 on Lucas Almeida. Now, this is a, a, a battle between two strikers, but two different strikers, right? Lucas Almeida will start off on his side, uh, a power puncher pretty much, right? That That's the best way to describe him. He goes out there looking for the finish more often than not. He puts a lot of pressure on his opponents early in their fights, and he's able to get some of them out of there, right? He has a ton of first round and second round finish, uh, finishes on his record. But it seems like when he was fighting on the regional scene, he was fighting a lot of guys with uh, little to no striking experience, right? Which is funny because there are a couple of fights where uh, Lucas actually gets dropped by some of these guys in the striking. But as the fight starts to wear on longer and longer, you see these guys go to the grappling more. They're trying to go for desperation takedowns and drag Lucas to the ground because they're scared of the amount of power that Lucas carries in his hands. But once you see Lucas actually fight somebody with a you know, a competent striking style like he did against Daniel Zellhuber on the contender series, that's where you see him start to struggle. Because, yeah, he'll have early success like he did against Daniel. He won that first round just off of volume and throwing power punches. But as he continuously starts swinging in at air, he starts to slow down, and then his opponents start to finesse him a little bit more, like Zellhuber did. In rounds two and three, Zellhuber started to take over with his movement, his range management, his kicking, and his ability to get out of the way of the big shots, telegraph the big shots, and then counter effectively with his own. That is Mike Trezano's game. Mike should be able to replicate exactly what Zell Huber did. Maybe not with as much flash as Zell Huber did, but still with as much efficiency. Like sticking on the outside, using his leg kicks, kind of fighting like he fought the uh, Ludovic Klein fight, right? He will likely be backing up his opponent from the round two and round three, maybe not in round one. But if Lucas, you know, doesn't find any discipline about his game, he's going to find himself losing another decision like he did against Zell Huber. So the spot that I'm actually leaning on here is... um. Not the chalk on Trezano, but his decision prop. He's not much of a finisher against uh, these uh, or, or this level of fighter, right? Like, uh, I want to see how many fights now he has. One. Uh, we're going to include his ultimate fighter fights as well, right? One, two, three, four straight fights. He's won via decision. Uh, and then earlier in his career, he's finishing guys, right? He finishes 0-0, 3-2, 4-2, 4-1. He's going up against, against the guy in Lucas Almeida who has more fights than him, right? He has 14 fights. So I don't think we'll see Trezano overextend too much here. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him lean to his grappling either. He is primarily a striker, but Almeida has shown some deficiencies in terms of his takedown defense. However, he does show a good competency in terms of getting back to his feet, which is why the grapplers he was facing on the regional scene weren't able to have much success against him. But as he starts taking levels up or steps up in competition, it's going to get harder and harder for him to get back to his feet. I think it would be very smart for Trezano to mix in takedowns here to just mix up the game and have Lucas Almeida thinking about more tools rather than just the striking from the outside. But I do think that we'll see Trezano more often than not lean on the striking, touch him up from the outside, get the numbers on him, Hopefully evade the big early strikes from Almeida. You might be able to get a better uh, price on uh, uh, Trezano going into the round two, considering that round one will likely be Lucas's strongest round. Uh, but I'd rather just take the decision prop here on uh, Trezano. I think that's what he's going to end up doing, really working Almeida over 15 minutes, most likely in rounds two and three, and then taking home a decision victory. So give me Trezano. I was thinking about parlaying him early here. 
not not as enthusiastic about it anymore. But uh, I do think that uh, I do think that Trezano finesses him here in the striking room and, and beats him. All right, let us move on to the co-main event. We got my guy Movzar Ivluev taking on his first ranked opponent, if I'm not mistaken. Here he is going up against Dan Ige. Minus 400 now on Movzar Ivluev, plus 300 on Dan Ige. Now, Ivluev opened up closer to the minus 200 range, got bet down to about minus 300. Then for about four days or so, he was hanging around minus 280, and then a bunch of money came in on him, uh, and now he's up to about minus 400 now. So initially when I saw this line, even at the minus 280 plus 220 line that we saw, I thought that the bookies were absolutely disrespecting Danny Gay here. You know, I thought that they weren't giving him his due. You know, I thought that this could be a bad stylistical matchup for Evlov. And this was all pre-tape, right? This is me thinking that Evlov had a close fight against Nick Lentz. This is me thinking that, you know, takedowns aren't that hard to come by against Evlov. And this is me thinking that Dan Ige's ground game, wrestling game is much better than I thought it was. That's why you run tape. That's why you have to go back and really dig into it and, and remind yourself that, oh, yeah, the Nick Lentz fight was a split, but it was a bad split. It should not have been a split. Yeah, Mike Grundy was landing takedowns on Evloev, but Evloev was getting right back to his feet, not settling at all, not even allowing for one moment for his opponents to settle on top. And even when he gets caught in close submission attempts, the guy toughs it out. You know, I don't know if he has a third or fourth lung in his chest somewhere, but he's able to keep his breath uh, and his calmness about him, get out of those bad positions, and then make his opponents pay for those bad positions. And then running the tap, tape on Dan Ige, you know, seeing Korean Zombie finesse him and just absolutely handle him on the mat was not a good look at all, right? Dan Ige has big power early in his fights, as we saw in the Gavin Tucker fight. And uh, there's one more from earlier in his UFC career, but he has big power. He can knock his opponent's out pretty stiff. But I think that Evlov is very durable. He will be the much better grappler here. And even though Evlov doesn't have the greatest top control, as you know, more often not, his opponents are able to get back to their feet, he does a good job in terms of chaining those wrestling attempts together over and over again and just working his opponents into the ground. So I like Ige, or sorry, I like Evlov quite a lot here. I do think he grinds Dan Ige out. Ige is very difficult to finish, never been finished in his uh, MMA career. And Evlov more often than not goes out there and, and fights to a decision. There's a reason why the over two and a half is minus 345, right? These guys are going to go at it. There's going to be some close finishes from either side, but I don't think either one is going to transpire in, a, in an actual finish here. So the spot that I'm looking at is Evlov by decision at minus 145. I don't normally like, you know, betting a, a prop that's at minus money. But considering the clip at which Evlov wins decisions and the durability of Ige, I'd be surprised if Evlov gets a submission over Ige. I'd be surprised if Evlov gets a knockout over Ige. So I think that the decision line is probably the best way to go about it. I am considering, though, again, I'm not, uh, I hate betting via decision fights, right? I, I might have to end up doing it twice on this card with, uh, with uh, fucking Mike Trezano as well. But there's a part of me. Just like the John Munoz Jr., you know, round three, plus 1,200 whispering in the back of my ear. Yves Luev, Moneyline, uh, Mozrov, Menafield, if I doesn't go to decision, parlay those together. I think you get roughly around minus 140. I don't mind taking a shot on that. I don't think that's a bad parlay. I think those are pretty much the two locks of the night. But I can't put lock of the night money on it because I'd, 
I get burned too much with par excuse me with parlays. So I might just uh I might put two or three units on it. But I like Evloev here. Initially I was like an Ega pre-tape, but I completely did a 180 on it after reminding myself of uh the struggles Ega has in grappling him and how good Evloev actually is. Evloev should run through him honestly. Over 50 minutes, I think he does work here. True shot saying my only problem with Evloev is lack of control with the takedowns. Yeah, exactly. It's my concern, my concern as well, but he keeps getting the takedowns. Very tough. And his striking is getting better too. MPTV saying Ige might have been favored two years ago, maybe. Hafrican saying Evloev is everything I dislike about wet blankets in that he poses next to zero finishing threat. The Ige got ragdolled by Korean Zombie. Got to think Evloev just rides him to a decision. I agree. MPTV seeing Evil by unanimous. I've I would have more of a chance in a five-round fight. I'd Ige would have more of a chance in a five-round fight. I'd agree. You know what? Ige could make this closer in a three-round fight than he could in a five-round fight, in my opinion. True shot saying he doesn't even try to finish. I agree. MPTV saying he likes him as a parlay piece. I agree. True shot saying unlimited cardio. I agree. Sharks uh, DFS saying, I wish we could have seen Evil of Taporia, the one that got away. Uh, True Shot thinks worse than five rounds. Interesting. I think Ige could like maybe steal two rounds out of a three fight, but I think the longer that it goes, Movzar would have control easier and easier as the fight goes on. But yeah, Sharks, uh, you know, I know a lot of people were on Taporia pretty heavy going into that Evil of fight when it was scheduled. I wonder if anybody's opinion has changed since then. I hope they still manage to match it up eventually, but we'll see. All right, main event time. Shout out to the live viewers that we currently have here, 11 p.m. on a Friday night. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe uh, before we wrap the podcast up. Make sure you guys drop a comment as well on the back end. For anybody watching the replay here, please drop a comment. Let me know what your lock of the night play is, and I'll try to get back to you guys as soon as I can. Uh, and then obviously... Shout out as well to all the Patreon members that your boy has. I believe we're back up over 300 Patreon members. Uh, again, my picks are mainly just behind the Patreon paywall until I hit my next losing weekend. Right now, five straight winning weekends. Looking to make it six with this Volkov and Rosa Strike card. If you want to know what the picks are, or official bets, I should say, make sure you guys check out the Patreon. Again, five bucks a month. That's like about a dollar per card. The reason because I know I'm not the greatest out there, but I know my reads are pretty much uh, good from an overall perspective. And again, all the content that I put on a weekly basis, it's nice to get that that love, that five bucks a month to continue to do this thing full time. All right. Main event time. Heavyweights at it once again. We got Alexander Volkov going up against Jerzinho. Rosenstrike. In terms of odds, we got minus 150 on Volkov, plus 130 the return on Jerzinho Rosenstrike. Now, uh, Volkov opened up around minus 160, so he's hovering roughly around where he's been the entire time. Very easy fight to break down, right? I don't feel like I need to go into a 10-minute breakdown of this fight because it's very easy. Volkov either traverses the cage for 25 minutes while picking up our Rosenstrike from outside, or Rosenstrike eventually lands that big shot Puts Volkov down, puts his lights out. Now, I do want to touch on a couple of things real quick about Volkov. People continue to beat the drum that he's washed, and I'm still not of that belief. What was it? Three fights ago, uh, he lost to Cyril Gan. Cyril Gan 
one of the best kickboxers in the game. I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, I take nothing from that loss. That is him just getting outskilled. Siragon was clearly the better fighter the night, that night. The Marcin Tybura fight, yes, it looked like Alexander lost a step, but he still went out there and won. Still got the dub. Still dug deep in that third round when it was one to one and still pulled out the win. Then his next fight against Tom Aspinall. I thought he would cruise in that fight, honestly. But the takedown game of Aspinall, I very much underrated. He had great timing on changing levels and landing those double legs, those blast double legs to get the big Alexander Volkov to the ground, and then obviously using his jiu-jitsu to get that uh, straight armbar victory. Hats off to him. Rosenstrike presents none of those problems that any of those three opponents that he recently has faced present. He presents the he presents the atomic bomb, right? The Rosen bomb, as I like to call it in the in the title of this podcast. Other than that, he does nothing, right? 12 professional MMA victories, only one of them to win via decision. And that was under Risen rules. Risen, completely different scoring system than the traditional, you know, North American MMA sphere where we're betting or, or where we're scoring round to round, whereas Risen scores a full fight. But Rosenstrike has the bomb from minute one to minute 24 and a half, right? Ask Alistair Overeem, who got his lip completely torn off because <laughs> of that big bomb from Rosenstrike at the end of the fight. Am I willing to put my well-being, my health, you know, a possibility of a heart attack on the line to watch Volkov try to traverse the smaller cage and not get knocked out by Rosenstrike? No. But I'm not going to hinder that from making my prediction Alexander Volkov in this spot. I think that he avoids the Rosenbaum for the majority of this fight, uses his teep and his kicks to try to keep Rosenstrike at bay, you know, use his movement as best as possible. Sure, he's going to get hit a couple times, but considering the size advantage that he has here, hopefully he's able to, you know, shimmy and, and roll well enough so that he doesn't need the blunt of the shots from Rosenstrike. Because if Rosenstrike can find that button, he's going to get picked apart here. He's going to get touched up from distance. He's going to continuously get teeped up the middle, and uh, Volkov will continuously put uh, output on him. I just don't know if I can sweat that. So Volkov via decision is currently sitting at plus 235. I would rather take the shot on that than take his money line. Like taking a half unit shot on Volkov at plus 235, I would rather do that than take 1.5 or 1.7 unit shot on Volkov to win one, one unit. And then on the flip side for Rosa Strike, plus 185 for his KO line. That's the best way to play him. Because if he somehow wins this fight via decision, hell has frozen over. But I said that back in January when Francis Ngannou wrestle-fucked his way to a decision over Cyril Gunn with a busted knee. So anything is possible in MMA, but putting these guys up skill for skill, Volkov is the much more technical striker. Volkov is the better fighter, in my opinion. It's just that bomb, that dynamite that Rosenstrike has in his hands that he can land at any point against any fighter and put their lights out. But I got to go with Volkov here. I think we'll see a I think we'll see a Volkov of old here. I wouldn't even be surprised if we see him mix it up in the clinch, try to use his knees, try to outpower and overpower uh Rosenstrike here. Maybe even look to get this fight to the ground. But I like Volkov. Volkov via decision. That's it. All right. Let's see. Ton of comments. For this one. 
true shot saying uh, Rosa Strike will be more aggressive. He's always the same fighter, right? He's always the same. Any action saying Biggie Bigoy Medov? I don't think we'll see him go out there and wrestle. I think the narrative that he's going to wrestle is just absurd. No way he wrestles here. Like, it's not as easy as Aspinall made it look, in my opinion. No way. No way he makes it look that easy. Hafrican saying uh, Rosa Strike KO line plus 175, but is inside the distance plus 190. Bodog, such a silly book, round 3, 4, 5 KO, are plus 1,200, 2,000, plus 3,300. Rosenbaum can land at any moment, so why not take a stab? That's not bad. See, late round KO props like that, I don't mind that. That's not bad of a shot. MPTV saying Volkov, Ivloev, ooh, you are one ballsy individual for wanting to uh, bet uh, Volkov here. Again, I'm picking him to win, but holy fuck, it's going to be a sweat and a half. <laughs> uh, third spot, like if, if you're picking a fighter, maybe Blanchfield, I guess. But again, I don't like betting minus 600s in like two or three leg parlays. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision and Mozorov and Metafield, if you're able to put that in instead, I think that's not bad. MPTV Volkov is the better MMA fighter. I absolutely agree. True shot saying I lost money on Tom. I agree. I did too. Half again saying uh, Volkov has just looked so slow since he got COVID. Makes me feel real fucking sad. Volkov has been my favorite good heavyweight for ages. This will be the fight if we truly see if that COVID thing had an issue on him, right? Again, this Rosa Strike's not going to fight like any of those last fights that uh, Volkov has gone up against. So we'll see. Sharks just saying Tom Aspinall is for real. There's no shame in that loss. I agree. True shot. I think he's Volkov's lack of fishing power will allow Rosenstrike to go for it, possibly. Robert Chellis saying people forget Volkov was coasting in the last 10 seconds. It would have been touched. Wouldn't have been touched if he just stayed focused the whole time. I believe he's talking about the Lewis fight. I agree. Yeah, he just said that against Lewis, who's way ranger than Rosenstrike. I agree. Uh, Hafkin Singh mentioned this in Discord, though. Volkov has struggled with speed in his last two. Rosenstrike is one of the fastest guys in the heavyweight division when he pulls the trigger. Four to five times in four to five rounds. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a sweat, man. It is going to be a sweat. That's why I can't touch this fight at all. Trusha is saying, I'm less concerned with the KO loss. He looked lost against Aspinall, like afraid. I think Aspinall was just too fast for him and had way too many tools, honestly. Sharks just think people wanted to call that Rosa Strike over him in early stoppage, but the visual of his lip hanging off his face was really gross looking. I was of the belief that it was an early stoppage because he walked off, right? If he continued to punch over him, the fight would have continued and the time would have expired. I think it with him, the, the visual of him walking off forced the referee to stop that fight. Is what it is. Robert Charles saying he's going to be fighting up a ladder. I just don't see it. Yep. He has to reach to reach Volkov's shin unless he times a perfect counter. Justin Vilgas saying Volkov bum now he got to be in the UFC Apex dump. So you think so? Wow. African saying got a shitload to say about this fight. I'm taking up way too much space, but Volkov decision the way to play him. Rosa Strike durability has looked bulletproof except for that one bomb from Mangano. I agree. Uh, True Shot doesn't think the Aspiron is all that. Well, Curtis Blades is the perfect test for him. We shall find. All right. That is a wrap on the breakdowns. I didn't think that we'd be getting closer to the two-hour mark here, but here we are, an hour and 35 minutes into this podcast. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. 
as I told you guys, no other content for me on fight week. I will be busy the rest of the week. My wedding coming up, so I won't be dropping any content for you guys. I will be back with a full week of content for UFC 275. The following week, I will be uh, dropping uh, the rest of my bets on the Patreon uh, throughout the week as I start to find these lines and and get more comfortable with some of these spots. Uh, again, full picks are going to be on the Patreon until I hit my next losing weekend. Five straight winning weekends as of right now. Looking to make it six with this upcoming card, and hopefully we continue rolling and rolling and rolling. Appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Love the support. Love everything about you guys. Uh, hopefully I can get fucked up for the next couple of days and enjoy my wedding week. Um, but yeah, appreciate you guys. Good luck on your bets next week. And I'll see you guys for UFC 275. Peace out.